0: program is sponsored by Mission America and may contain views and opinions that do not reflect the views of the advertisers, staff, and owners of this station. Some material may not be suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Yeah, I used to be a liberal too. They use it to push a far-left political
2: agenda in this country that is not only destroying our schools and damaging our kids... But it's destroying and damaging our culture.
0: Based on faulty premises.
2: How did this happen? And I just think it's, again, it's a part of the decline of all things that were once rather sacred. But we we are having our young people absolutely indoctrinated in both public education and higher education.
0: Correct the record of what is truth and
2: what is fiction. God's seed has a root structure that's incorruptible and you might not see green for many years.
1: Yep, I used to be a liberal too.
0: This is Mission America with Linda Harvey. Because with God, all things, all things, all things
1: are still, still possible. possible. Good afternoon, friends, and welcome to Mission America Radio. I'm Linda Harvey, and I'm so very glad you've joined us this afternoon. Please visit our website at missionamerica.com. That's missionamerica.com for more information about our organization and to read news, articles, and Christian commentary on the culture. And don't forget to read my articles on the American Family Association blog The Stand, also at OliveTreeViews at com, on WND.com, and elsewhere out on the web. And be sure to check out my book uh, from our website. It's called Maybe He's Not Gay, Another View on Homosexuality, written especially for teens. And you can learn more right on our website at MissionAmerica.com. We're going to talk again today about the problems with the books that are now marketed to kids, and we will touch base again with an expert who has studied the field over a number of years. You will remember that we've had Debbie DeGroff on our show in the recent past, and she was talking, we were talking about the disturbing presentations of obscenity, vulgarity, and other dark themes that publishers seem to favor today. But today we're gonna take a different tack and go to a different dimension of the interaction between children and literature, one that many parents worry a lot about. Debbie, let me reintroduce Debbie to you. She has spent 30 years, Debbie has spent 30 years researching books for youth after taking an interest when her children were very small. Her curiosity turned to concern When she examined the content and also when she began to look at the actions of libraries and publishers, she's now considered a leading authority on the subject. Her book is called Between the Covers, What's Inside a Children's Book? And she has a website and blog at whatsinkidsbooks.org. Welcome back to Mission America Radio, Debbie.
2: Thank you, Linda. I'm so glad to be here today.
1: Well, it's great to talk with you, and the last time we had you on the program, we talked about the very inappropriate, that's my, to put it mildly, and frankly, often obscene books that publishers are making available to today's American children, and so we're going to follow up that program and pick your brain a little bit more with another dimension of this problem and some something that Mary, many parents are dealing with, and it's why essentially why Johnny can't read. You present this issue in your opening chapters in your wonderful book uh, that's very detailed, uh, the Between the Covers book, and we'll give people an idea of how they can get hold of that um, at the end of the program as well. But you described what children read in the early 1900s, and I thought that was fascinating, how children's literature then deteriorated compared to what's being published today. So, Can you start us off by describing how the literacy of the average person in the mid-19th century, early 20th century, compares to literacy today? And we've discovered this by some of the letters written during the Civil War by just ordinary people. Just bring us up to speed on that.
2: Well, in 1990, Mona Mona Schrin had written an article called The Civil War's Challenge to Modern America. And in there, she quotes, I quote, Everyone from generals to journalists to slaves seem to have a firmer grasp on the Eng- English language than most moderns can claim. And she said that at most colleges, one third of the freshmen require remedial work. And she also quoted the Motorola company reporting that only 20% of their adults who take its seventh grade level English composition test pass. Mm. And I can think you can safely say that in the 29 years since she wrote that article, the problem has continued to deteriorate And I don't know this for certain, but I doubt that the Motorola Company even gives the composition test these days. Right, right. So in the latter 1800s, children were reading the works of Sir Walter Scott. He was very, very popular. Dickens, James Fenimore Cooper, Thackeray, and Shakespeare for pleasure. They didn't even have the abridged, adapted, the revised, the graphic novel, or the cliff notes of these books. They simply read the authentic, unabridged
1: copies. Right. That's that's how people spent their time instead of, you know, watching reality TV or surfing the web for YouTube, strange YouTube videos, even even cat videos, which I tend to like, you know, that, you <laughs> know, when you, but yeah. it's all a time waster. And, um, yes. you know, the things you could be filling your head with instead, you know, describe. OK, so in the even we think of them as, oh, cherished classics like the the Bobbsey Twins Nancy Drew, but what was the early reaction to these series books in the early 20th century? Were they something everybody welcomed, or were they kind of a come down from where we were?
2: Well, that's, that's a very, very good question, because many librarians, people don't realize it, but many refused to show those books, such as the Bobsey Twins, Nancy Drew, or the Hardy Boys. And they weren't the only series books. The Edward Stratimer Syndicate alone marketed over a hundred different series. These books were written with a simplistic sentence structure and vocabulary, which was far removed from the type of literature they were accustomed to reading. But it wasn't only that they were dumbed down. In the 1927 Handbook of Children's Literature, Gardner and Ramsay explained that the children were filling their minds with useless chaff instead of Golden Grain, Mm -hmm. and they argued that the best librarians for children were rendering a great service in refusing shelf room to these juvenile series, and in steering children into equally diverting but more profitable channels. So they encouraged the teachers and librarians to counteract the influence of these books, and they wanted them to render permanently interesting the books that offered enjoyment, that they fostered noble ideals of conduct and stimulated the clear thinking that makes for growth of character because this is what librarians tried to do back then. They were trying to to guide the kids into growing not only in character but, you know, uh, uh, higher-order reading, I guess you could say. So in 2004, Megan O'Rourke wrote an article in The New Yorker and where she mentioned that as early as 1914, the chief librarian for the Boy Scouts of America published an article about series fiction. See, it was a concern across the board. (laughs) And he wrote, Parents who buy such books think they do their boys no harm, but the harm done is simply incalculable, he said. The series books would debauch and vitiate a child's imagination. And during this time period between 1899 and 1926, the Rover Boys series alone sold over 5 million copies. Hmm. But by today's standards, series books such as Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys are written on higher reading levels than wow. much of even the required high school reading. Right. It even lists higher than The Bluest Eye. The hmm. uh, Nancy Drew's Secret of the Redgate Farm is listed at a 5th grade 7th month and The Bluest Eye at only a 5th grade 7th second-month reading
1: level. And there's many other problems with The Bluest Eye as well. Oh, yes. It's really an obscene book and really gross. So, yes. So, okay. so in case you're just joining us, folks, we're talking with Debbie DeGroff. Uh, we're talking about literacy and why why kids can't read today and what kind of transition we've made from higher-level literature that developed character to uh, the kinds of things that are being offered today. And Debbie has a book called Between the Covers, What's Inside a Children's Book, and then her website is whatsinkidsbooks.org. So um, there was then this transition to a controlling vocabulary, and uh, you've kind of alluded to that already. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, to explain it simplistically, previously children had learned to read by learning the 44 sounds of the English language. They were taught to read phonetically. Mm -hmm. But when the progressives threw out phonics, they replaced it with whole-word reading. Now, some people call that look-say, sight-reading, or even word-guessing. Since the students now had to learn to recognize words from specific word lists, the basal readers all had to be developed using these particular words. You know, many people remembered. You know, look, look, Sally, jump,
1: mm-hmm. spot. <laughs> okay.
2: Jane, Dick, first, and Jane, Dick and yeah. Jane.
1: We have still got one of those around, and I, my little kids. I've been now. I'm going to look at it with a different eye when I send it to give it to my little kids. Go That's ahead. That's
2: right. Well, my first preprimer wasn't the Dick and Jane. I had the McKee reading for meaning series, and my first preprimer's name was Tip, the name of the book. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned the that tip the dog sixty times. So these words became the controlled vocabulary. There were only twenty different words in that first preprimer. And in fact, the teacher's manual to that preprimer reads as follows, and I want the listeners to listen to this really carefully. Since thou found associations are comparatively unreliable and generally unnecessary clues to the identity of a strange printed word. These are introduced only in second-grade materials at a time when the pupils will already have a firm mastery of the basic word attack technique. So, without any knowledge of vowel sounds, Mm -hmm. it stands to reason that the kids were learning to identify words by sight. Mm -hmm. Thus, there had to be continual repetition, or they would forget the words. So the children were also taught to look at the accompanying pictures. I mean, they even do this in the teacher's manual. They tell them that. Mm -hmm. The kids are expected to look at the accompanying pictures and to factor in the context of the sentence to try to figure out what the word might be. Mm -hmm. Dr. Seuss was given that same list to write the cat in the hat, and he used 223 words to write the book, and then he lamented in an Arizona magazine in the early 80s. He said, I did it for a textbook house. They sent me a word less due to the Dewey revolt in the 20s in which they threw out the phonic reading and went to word recognition. And he continues, as if you're reading a Chinese pictograph instead of blending sounds of different letters. I think killing phonics was one of the greatest causes of illiteracy in the country, he said. And, you know, one other thing I want to add here, it's very important. It's something that parents can check out for themselves. Many parents that have young children are familiar with The Boxcar Children by Gertrude Chandler Warner. Right. What they don't know is she originally wrote the first book, The Boxcar Children, in 1924, But in 42, it was completely rewritten using this new controlled vocabulary because the original storyline had words like triumphantly, energetically, conquering, delegated, rapturous, and harmonious. And the kids could read those words back then. Mm -hmm. But these words were missing in the 1942 edition because they weren't found on the word list that the children had to memorize. So any parent can go to the Project Gutenberg site, online. And the 1924 copy is there. Wow. And I would recommend that parents go get a copy, you know, of the current one and compare it to that older one. And then they will know whether or not our society has been dumbed down or not.
1: And that and that was 1924 compared to 1942. So we're yes. way beyond that now. And, um, you know, I want, well, as a former language arts teacher myself for um, eighth graders, I'm I just, I could not believe it. I wasn't really up on this at the time, and I wasn't a conservative either. But I remember very, very strongly thinking, why can't these kids read? Am I supposed to just start from scratch with this? And now I, then I later, I understood the issue of phonics. People are not, they've gone to whole language methods and abandoned the idea of phonics. And I want to get into with you, but I don't know that we have time, um, too much before maybe you can start it before our break the Lexile and accelerated reader measurements and how we know the grade level I guess is what we're talking about at which um, these are written so just give us about 30 seconds on that and we'll pick it up again when we go. Okay,
2: MetaMetrics Lexile they use what they call a framework for reading and what they say is if a child is reading on what they have deemed a 720 lexile measure, then they should be able to comprehend at least 75% of a book that's measured on that same level. You know, an accelerated reader is more straightforward. Mm-hmm. I mean, they will sit there and say 3.5, and that simply means third grade, fifth month reading yeah. level.
1: Okay, okay. Um, and so <laughs> we have, uh, you know, so many problems, and one of them is that kids are just not being challenged. Um, and you got to look back. And my issue is, okay, in the age of the Internet, why would book publishers sensationalize and dumb down books? Could it be that they have a profit motive to sell more books? Um, we'll talk about that, too, when we come, da- come back and talk to Debbie DeGroff. We're talking about why children can't read and what has happened to Higher level literacy expectations in our country. This is Linda Harvey on Mission America Radio. We will return right after these messages don't go away.
0: Today's program is pre recorded. To learn more, log on to missionamerica.com. Now, here's Linda.
1: Have you had problems with your children learning to read? And you sometimes wonder, what are they doing at school? Why can't, you know, a first grader start to be learning to read? And certainly by second and third grade. And then it goes on, and sometimes your children just don't seem to have an interest in reading or the ability to read. We're talking today with Debbie DeGroff. Now, we've talked with her before about some of the problems with uh, children's literature and the obscenity, the very, very inappropriate material that's in many, many books today. We're talking with a, a different dimension today about literacy and why so many people go through school and really can't read. And Debbie has a great book that has this and all the other things I just mentioned as well. It's very detailed on many aspects of this, and it's called Between the Covers, What's Inside a Children's Book? And her website is at what's in kids And welcome back, Debbie. Uh, so let's talk about this again. Uh, do you think that the adoption of what is called whole language and the abandonment of phonics contributes to all this problem?
2: Of course it did. And it was deliberate. But not only were the basal readers changed to adopt that controlled vocabulary, people have to realize it was not just the readers. All of the other subjects had to fall in line with that controlled vocabulary as well. And for example, I'll just make this short, but I have a social studies curriculum from 1954. And in the back of the book, it flat out says that the words that are in that book line up with that first grade reader. Hmm. So this is this is how they did it. Uh, you had repetition, repetition, repetition throughout the subjects,
1: So that they would be able to, on-site, recognize b- words, but not be able to sound out words to discover very many new words. Well, that's, that's the abandonment of phonics.
2: Yeah, I have I have a teacher friend who tells me that the kids say, I don't remember that word. Oh, wow. If you knew how to read, you don't have to remember anything. You, you just read the word.
1: You just sound it out, right. That's right. 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 And so, okay, go back with us and, and refresh, okay, you started on the Lexile and accelerated reader measurements. and This is how the grade level is established uh, in, so something is at a third grade level or a 12th grade level. Um, so tell us about that.
2: Yes, okay, so there is, there is MetaMetrics Lexile and then there's the, the Renaissance accelerated reader. And, you know, both of those are very, very lengthy subjects, but I'll give you one illustration. Donovan's Big Day is a 662-word book, mostly pictures, about a little boy preparing for the wedding of his two mothers, Uh and it's listed at a fourth-grade, fourth-month reading level. But so is The Sound and the Theory by William Faulkner. Yes. (laughs) It certainly makes a person scratch their head, right? especially if anyone has read William
1: Faulkner. Yes, right. Very different maturity level would be different, although reading about... Was it is it two mothers he's repairing his for the wedding yes. of his two yes. yeah, that's a different whole maturity level that should not ever be presented in the first place, in my view. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay, so okay, and then the other issue that people are dealing with today is the online material in the classroom. Tell us how there can be children at different reading levels in a teacher's class. And they can be reading, because of the online material available, different reading, different books. Sometimes books the teacher's never even read herself and then tested on it.
2: That's exactly the point. Okay, when you have programs such as Accelerated Reader, the kids can, uh, you know, if the teacher has over 100 students, instead of teaching the same book with all the background information like they used to do, she can just assign, say, a book, if it's a biography, a mystery, adventure, whatever. And the kids go online, and if it's on Accelerated Reader, you could potentially have all 100 students reading 100 different books. Oh, so there is no guidance. If they are getting indoctrinated in a book, there's nobody to counteract that indoctrination right. or propaganda. You know, nobody knows where, whether they are, you know, sexual or violent, anything. So it's it's a it's a real problem, but the teachers like it a lot of them because they don't have to come up with quizzes, supplemental materials about the books or authors, or grade papers. Right. See well, the scores, they actually get a diagnostic report that gives all the the data of the students' reading and you know and test information.
1: Well, it it seems to open up a uh, the opportunity for cheating as well. You know, if you're If your brother went through this last year and you had the same quiz online, wouldn't that mean there's a lot more opportunities for, um, you know, kids not even reading the books at all?
2: Well, um, that's a a good point. They do rearrange the questions, and they probably have different tests, okay, okay, that are rearranged. But there's whole sites online that teach them how to cheat on the accelerated reader test. And you can listen to a book, not read it.
1: Oh, uh, yes. That's the other issue. You can listen. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. It, this is very depressing, I'm sure, for people <laughs> listening to the details of this. Are some schools getting back to phonics? I guess that would be a good question to ask.
2: Well, some school teachers taught phonics all the way through the years, despite the system, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. But now, I've been reading a lot of education articles, and they have been talking about how bad um, sight reading is, like they just now figured all of that <laughs> right, out. Right. And, and, they're, like, reintroducing phonics. They're getting ready like they just invented it. Mm-hmm. And I, this is the most important thing I would like as the takeaway. Since most of the books that are marketed to children today fit the cultural narrative, it is an opportune time to reintroduce real reading skills. Right. I always said they would do this when the time is right, because high literacy isn't a concern in places where the subject matter being presented is already controlled.
1: Right. Oh, gee, wow. I'm going to skip ahead and, and uh, because we're, we've got some, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've discussed what we were going to talk about. But I want you to talk about the John Dewey. You know, re- recognizing words by sight and rather by phonics became an objective of educators back around the time of John Dewey. And tell us why the move away from phonics. I and mean, this is a bigger issue. Why was this done?
2: Well, it was intent. You know, if if uh, people read, say, Crimes of the Educator by Alex Newman and Sam Blumenfeld, okay, they can actually read John Dewey's treatise in there. I mean, he tells you flat out what he was going to do. It's not, you know, uh, uh, conspiratorial, <laughs> you yeah. know, ideas. But, you see, Thomas Gallaudet had written the mother's primer in 1835 for use with deaf children. See, deaf children cannot hear the sounds of our language mm-hmm. to learn the sound, right? Right, right. So, so later, they decided to try to use this horseman. They decided to use this in Boston schools with children with no hearing impairment. Mm. And the schoolmasters threw a tizzy fit because it was a tremendous failure. So they threw it out. But because then Dewey and the others already knew that this would lower the literacy level, starting in the, you know the latter, uh, latter 1800s and the early 1900s, they reintroduced
1: it. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we're going to have to leave it there, and I urge you, okay, so, sorry, Debbie, to go to <laughs> what's in whatsinkidsbooks.org and get Debbie's book. Thank you so much. And then what you can do, parents. Thank you, Debbie, for your meticulous and wonderful uh, work and what you've contributed to us. And just remember, friends, just remember, with God all things even teaching your kids to re-teaching your kids to read all things are still possible have a great day